Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 14 of Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to be reading verses 9 through 13. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And I'll stop reading there. We're uh, picking up in verse 9. We have been looking at some of the things that God has said concerning Noah. He found grace in his sight. He was a just man and perfect in his generations. And and we see how each of these statements leads us to God's salvation program and to what God has done on behalf of his people, his elect people. And so there's... No question regarding um, Noah that he was a child of God. If there's anyone in the Bible who we can be sure was a child of God, it's Noah, as God has basically wrapped him up in these statements, each one perfectly describing someone that has become saved. And and so the Lord said he was just man and perfect or without blemish. He had no sin upon him that God saw because all of his sin was paid for. Oh, by the way, I wasn't thinking to talk about this, but, but it needs to be mentioned. Noah was without blemish, without sin in God's sight. And so... Um, the question is, where did his sin go? Well, uh, Jesus paid for it. The child of God, as well as many others that are knowledgeable about the, the Bible salvation program, would say, of course, Christ paid for it. Yes, but but according to church theologians, according to individuals that read uh, the Bible and, and do not take all of the scriptural information into consideration. Christ paid for sins in 33 AD. That's when all the sins of all the elect were paid for. That's the point we're told that Jesus bore the tremendous mass of sin of everyone he came to save. And that's the point that God poured out his wrath and Jesus made payment. 
and Christ died for all the sins. That's the point of his baptism by fire, the washing away of sin. If we're to believe that that payment for sin was not made until Christ went to the cross in 33 AD, over 11,000 years after the creation of the world. So how then is Noah perfect? How is he a man without blemish? Already in this period of time, uh, some um, 5,000 plus, nearing 6,000 years from the creation of the world, where did Noah's sin go? Where did it go? Well, you see, they say, again, the theologians, that, and remember, these are theologians, some of them are good men, some of them are faithful men, and yet they lived during the church age. They lived at a time when the Bible was sealed, and they did not have access or understanding to a great many things that God had hidden and kept sealed until the time of the end. And, and so we have um, to take that into consideration, and, and we recognize they could, they could very well be uh, children of God, saved individuals. Of course, now uh, people who fight against these things and they uh, refuse these things they don't have that kind of excuse or they don't have that kind of reason for rejecting the things that the Lord has opened up. So really, it, it's a different matter for someone refusing it today than it would have been for, say, uh, a reformer 400 years ago who just simply lacked understanding and God himself had not enlightened him or opened up the understanding of his mind to see this information because it wasn't the proper time for it. There's a big difference between someone like that and someone today who has been presented with the biblical teaching. Christ was slain as the lamb from the foundation of the world and and seen how all these statements of Jesus entering into the world and making manifest what he had done. Um, his atoning work at the world's foundation and so forth. And, and they just resist and, and hold up their hands or more accurately put their fingers in their ears and refuse to listen or hearken to what the Bible says. That's a completely different matter. But both, whether a, a reformer of old or a present day critic, likewise say, that Christ died for sin, paid for sin in 33 AD, and both are faced with the dilemma, well, what about Abel's sin? We've already seen he was a righteous man. What about Noah and his sin that God is making abundantly clear? He had no sin upon him. He was a perfect man, a man without blemish, there, there was not a single sin that God saw. Well, they would say that he was saved in looking ahead to the Messiah. 
that, that God just granted him salvation through what Jesus would later do. Well, you know, that's fine, the theological speak, but it doesn't answer the problem. It doesn't answer the question. Either sin is paid for or sin is not paid for. You can't have an in-between state. And, and sin is paid for when Christ made payment. That's, that's pretty, uh, plain and simple. In order for God to save anyone, the people he saved bore sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, sin is the problem between man and God. And, and God had a program to save certain people. He, he selected this one and that one. He chose to love Jacob and not Esau and so forth. We, we know all that, but still there had to be the mechanics of it. There had to be the application of it, the actual washing away of sin the removal of sin, the the payment for sin. And the problem that this erroneous teaching that Christ paid for sin in 33 AD has, and it has a whole list of problems, but a big, a major problem is that they are saying sin has been taken away from saints of old without yet having been paid for, paid in principle, they would say, paid at a future time. And because God is so faithful and uh, to do what he says, it was as though he had already died. Well, all of that doesn't mean a thing because God doesn't work that way. God does not work that way. He cannot forgive sins. He cannot cleanse a sinner his sins and wash them away without first having received righteous satisfaction for those same sins. It, it, it is not a just thing or a legal thing in any way for God to forgive sins without having the payment already made for those sins. Here, uh, Noah, uh, here, Abel, and and here, Abram, I will forgive your sins and wash them away because in a, in a later time, a future time, I will then pay for them. But in the meantime, we'll just treat you as though all your sins are gone and you'll have all the blessings of salvation. And when you die... You'll be able to enter into heaven and be with the Lord and and so forth, uh, even though your sins have not yet actually been paid for. It is very unjust. It goes contrary to the law of God and God's, um, his entire system of justice. No. No, you know, this is what man's doctrines, when men develop things out of their own minds, leads to. It it tends to confusion. It tends to 
develop all kinds of problems and things that need to be solved. And this is one of them. Whereas when we start with what the Bible says, and it's not me, and it wasn't Mr. Camping, and it's not any man that said that Christ is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's the Bible statement. It makes it twice. Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Not in principle, but it's a matter-of-fact statement. And again, the lamb without blemish. The lamb that was to be the Passover lamb must be without blemish. Jesus was perfect without sin, the, the perfect lamb of God who died bearing the sins of his people from the foundation of the world. He made payment in full and then he rose from the dead completely justified and all the, the sin question for his people was settled. It was only a matter of applying the salvation through the hearing of the word, like the lamb that had been slain, um, its blood was in the basin, and you dip the hyssop, and you apply it to the doorpost. That's all that was left insofar as God's salvation program was concerned. The sending forth of the word so the elect could hear and have what Christ had already done applied to them, and then they would be born again. And, and, and so we start with, we begin with, Abel's sins have already been paid for. God applies what he has already done in paying for Abel's sins to Abel through the hearing of his word, Abel becomes saved. Noah's sins have already been paid for. God applies the work he has already performed that Hebrews 4.3 tells us the works were finished from the foundation of the world the work that's already been performed on his behalf through the hearing of his word, Noah becomes saved. No contradiction, no difficulty, no problem area, uh, such as, well, uh, they're saved, and and yet it's all based on future um, historical going to the cross that, that occurs thousands of years from the point that God saves them. No, no, it, it becomes a mess. Not to mention, you cannot have forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. It, it's a gospel for the Old Testament saints that is bloodless. There has been no shedding of blood for Abel, for Noah, for Abram, for Joseph, for Jacob, and so forth. And God says, in order for there to be the distribution of the inheritance, you must have first the death of the testator. The one who has made the will must die first. Then you may grant inheritance to Abel and Noah and Abram and so forth. Uh, That's just three quick huge dilemmas that this doctrine of Christ paying for sins in 33 AD produces. And there is more. There is more. It throws everything out of sorts. It is not 
the Bible's teaching in any way. And, and again, people who fight against doctrine that God has graciously opened up to our understanding at this time. And it's a wonderful doctrine. It is a beautiful doctrine in many ways that also additionally helps us to understand our own present circumstances as God has left his people on the earth to go through the day of judgment. And we have the example of the Lord Jesus who died for sins at the foundation of the world and then was made manifest to suffer a judgment. And and that, again, comforts us. As we know, we died in Christ and our sins were paid for by him at the point of the world's foundation. Yet, we are appearing or being made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. And, and there is a, a close similarity since we, the children of God, are the body of Christ. In filling up his suffering, we are taught. But first, we have to have a correct understanding of that doctrine to understand our present situation. And, of course, those that lack understanding of that doctrine will likewise not understand what God is doing with his people as we all appear or are made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ. All right, let's go back to Genesis 6. And again, in verse 9, Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Now, the word generations, actually it's found twice in verse 9. There are two different Hebrew words. The first one is 8435. These are the generations of Noah. Um, and the second word generations, uh, he's perfect in his generations, is 1755. They, they both can be used to refer to um, generations of people. Uh, I'm really not too sure what God is doing here, except in Genesis 37, verse 2, it says, These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And then, after making that statement, and and Genesis 37, 2 is the 84-35, the first were translated as generations in our verse. But in Genesis 37, 2, after making that statement, these are the generations of Jacob, we're not presented with a genealogy, but we're, we're given the history of Joseph and his dreams and all that follows with, with the famine. And that relates uh, spiritually to the Great Tribulation period. And so here, these are the generations of Noah, and then God tells us he's a just man and perfect, and it does mention he begat three sons, but then uh, the Lord goes into the condition of the earth, it was corrupt, full of violence, his plan to destroy the world, and then we, in the next chapter, are uh, brought into the flood account, and it's similar in the sense that the generations of Jacob involved really the spiritual situation of God's elect 
during the Great Tribulation. And I think here, when God is saying these are the generations of Noah, that it involves the spiritual situation of God's people for the Day of Judgment. It's um, relaying through the historical parable that the flood was what God's people can expect uh, to be in evidence at the end of the world concerning the world itself, corrupt, full of violence, and the judgment of God. There is a spiritual teaching that is for the chosen, the elect people of God, just as Genesis 37 with its statement concerning the generations of Jacob had to do with the elect and the historical parable of the famine that would teach them about the Great Tribulation. Well, uh, at the end of verse 9 it says, Noah was perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And um, this is very similar to what we read concerning Enoch in the previous chapter in Genesis 5, verse 22, and Enoch walked with God. And we discussed that at that point, but we'll mention again, because God is bringing it up again. He's pointing out that another saint, another child of God, walked with him. And again, what does it mean to walk with God? Well, according to the Bible, it means to walk in God's commandments. In Second John, Second John... Verse 4, it says, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received the commandment from the Father. And also in verse 6, and this is love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Or even in Third John verse 3, And four, for I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. The walking in truth, and Jesus is the truth, thy word is truth, the Bible tells us, is synonymous with walking in the commandments of God. Walking in the Bible. That's what it means. It means to follow the narrow way that the Bible lays out. To follow the way that leads to the kingdom of heaven. You must walk in God's word. Walk in his commandments. And no one is able to do that unless God equips you with a new heart and spirit and and that ongoing desire to do the will of God or to go that way of his commandments and an ability to perform the doing of it perfectly from the heart and bringing the body under more and more as we continue in that path. That's how Noah walked. Noah walked according to what God commanded him. God said, build an ark. And Noah went about building, constructing the ark. 
Was there a day or two when when Noah didn't want to get up out of bed or or felt like doing something else rather than building the ark? I'm sure there was. And yet the nature of a child of God is that maybe after going astray for a day where he wanted to be like everybody else in the village and he just wanted to relax or maybe he... He, he wanted to waste time. He, he wanted to have some pleasure, uh, to be entertained. He, he, he was tired of building the ark. And, and so maybe even there came a point of mockery of, uh, where it, there was no fun in doing this because people were against him that he was so discouraged that he said, I'm just going to be like everybody else. And, and I'm going to work my farm and, and, and talk with people and, and just uh, chit chat and have fun and just do like the world. And maybe he did it for a day. Maybe he did it for a week. But the nature of a child of God is the next day or the next week, he comes to his senses and he realizes, what am I doing? And, and he looks over the time he's just wasted. He was commanded to do something. He was commanded to get to work on that ark, to hammer nails, and and to bring it together. It was it was a huge task that he had to perform, and he wasted 24 hours, or maybe he wasted 168 hours in a week. And he looks back, and and he sees that he's no better. Going about the way of the world for a day didn't help. It didn't make him feel good. It didn't satisfy him. It didn't please him. As a matter of fact, he he feels worse. He feels horrible that that uh, he was fooled and deceived and and he did something he know was displeasing to God. That was out of the way. It was out of the commandment given to him to build that ship to build the ark. And so he turns back. That's the nature of the child of God. Whether it be momentary, or whether it be a day, or however long, that when we step away from what God has said in his word, what he has instructed us, we're troubled, we're disturbed, and and it, it just doesn't feel right, because we're a different person. We may have done these things that we want to do, that we thought we wanted to do, and we may have done them in the past before God saved us, but now when we return to it, it, it's not the same. We're a new creature. We do not have a desire in that way anymore, in the broad way that leads to destruction. We we cannot just just go with all the others of the world like before, without being afflicted and trouble in mind and, and feeling terrible about it. And so we learn the best thing for us. It, it is the best thing, after all. It's the good thing for us. It's the thing we feel best about. It's the thing that we really have come to enjoy and to take pleasure in is to do the will of God. And yeah, all right, the, the world's against us and, and they might say these cruel things 
and mock and and so forth and laugh but but you know what this is what i must do this is the way that god wants me to go and it is better to please god than man i know that and and i'm happier pleasing god than i am pleasing man Thanks for joining us for E-Bible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, E-Bible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.